Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. I noticed uh, a number of years ago in my relationship with God that there was a disconnect with one out of three members of the Trinity. I connected with Jesus uh, when I was 19 years old. I surrendered my life to Christ, and when I surrendered my life to Christ, I experienced this incredible love that Jesus had for me in a very real and tangible way. So I've always wanted to hear more of the stories about Jesus. You know, John, in the end of his gospel, talks about the fact, you know, if we told all the stories about Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in all the world to contain them. And I always want to hear the end of the stories, you know. I connected with the Holy Spirit. I could feel his presence, I could hear his voice, and I noticed that when I prayed, I used terms of endearment for both the Spirit and also for Jesus. But if I were really honest and really self-aware, and somebody had said to me, you know, uh, when you think of the Heavenly Father, what do you think of? I would have said things like this, well, you know, he's powerful, he's sovereign, He's holy. I mean, those are good biblical words. But if I was really honest, I would also said, he's a little scary. He's kind of distant. Feels a little aloof. And if I'm honest, I, I think there's something inside of me that's a little averse to him. And I could feel that. Honestly, the way I noticed was just listening to myself pray. And when I addressed him, I always would just say, God, I didn't have any terms of endearment. I felt distant when I prayed. And one day when I realized this in prayer, I just went, I need to close the gap between what I know the Bible says about the Father and the way I'm currently experiencing the Father. There's a big gap. And so I started to pray to Jesus. This was my prayer. Lord Jesus, I don't know the Father like you know the Father and speak about the Father. I need you to show me the Father. But I didn't wait around passively. I actually engaged in the process of closing the gap. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about our part, and I want to talk about God's part, and I'm going to take a look at a passage in Romans chapter 8 in a little bit to talk about, you know, God's part, and I'll talk about how we can position ourselves to receive the revelation of the Spirit about the Father's love. But before I get there, let me just say, sometimes I think there's blocks in our soul that are keeping us from receiving the revelation of the Spirit. Listen, the Spirit's always revealing. He's not bad at His job. The problem is, sometimes it's hard for us to hear. You know, a lot of times, think of your soul for a second like a suitcase, okay? And I travel a lot these days. You know, I left uh, last Sunday for a trip <clears throat> through Vancouver, British Columbia, down here, and then I'm back home for a few days, and then I take off again for for Perth, Australia. Before I can take off again to Perth, you know, when I get home, man, I got to take all the dirty clothes out of the suitcase. When I started the trip, they were all nice and clean and neat and folded, but by the time I'm done, they're all dirty, and I just throw them all back in the suitcase. I get back home. I got to throw them, take them out, throw them in the washer, and before I leave, I'll have all nice, neat, clean clothes back in my suitcase again. But unless I unpack the dirty clothes, I can't make room for the clean clothes. Paul talks about this in an analogy. He says you got to take off the old and put on the new that Jesus has done for us. 
But if you don't take off the old stuff and unpack the old stuff, the dirty stuff from the suitcase, a lot of times you can't put on the new. So, for example, sometimes we have things in a suitcase like shame. Shame can be in there for all kinds of reasons. For some of you, shame is in there because of things you've done in your past. Some of you have stuff that you're carrying around in your past that just, when you look at it, you feel dirty. You feel ashamed. The reality is some of you have stuff in the suitcase of your soul, secrets, that you have never told anyone else. And the truth is, when you have secrets, you have shame. For some of us, we don't have shame just because of what we've done. We've had shame carried around in the suitcase of our souls because of things that have been done to us. Abuse, physical, emotional, sexual. All of those kinds of abuses create this sense that there's something wrong with us. We're not lovable. We're broken. We're irreparable. We're damaged. But what happens is when the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us the love of the Father, and I'm carrying all this junk in the suitcase of my soul, I can't receive it. I've got to unpack the old in order to fill in the new. That, by the way, is why I wrote the book Soul Care, because I had to go through an unpacking process in my own journey. Today, I don't really have time to talk about the unpacking process. I want to talk about the packing in process. I want to talk about receiving, posturing, positioning myself in a way to receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And so let's take a look at this passage in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And one of the things the Holy Spirit will lead you to do is unpack things. That's part of His leading. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. He doesn't want you to be slaves to that stuff in the suitcase, to your past, so that you live in fear again, fear that you won't be accepted, fear that you won't be loved, fear that you don't have what it takes. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The word sonship here is a technical word in the Greek. It's a firstborn son status kind of word. Well, you know, in a Jewish first century society, the firstborn son picked up two-thirds of the inheritance. This was a privileged status. It was to keep the land in the family. And in this case, he's saying that's the kind of status you have. That's the kind of access you have as a firstborn son, just like Jesus. And just to make this clear, he goes on to say this, by him we cry, by the spirit that lives within us, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. He didn't just adopt us into His family so we could have all the good things. The reality is Jesus took the way of the cross and sometimes he calls us to follow him in places that are hard, that are difficult, that are painful. But I have to tell you, in my own journey, and I'll bet you could testify about it in many of your journeys, it is often in the darkest places that I've experienced the greatest amounts of God's light in my inner being. It is often in the most painful places that I've experienced the closest times in my life with the Father and experienced his love. He redeems the suffering. So I just want to take a look here this morning about three things that you can do, position yourself in such a way that you can receive the revelation of the Father's love. And, and here's the first. If we're going to receive the adoptive love of the Father by the Holy Spirit's revelation, then we're going to have to put ourselves in a place to receive revelation or illumination in the Scripture. 
I love 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know, it says, it's a famous verse, it says, uh, all scripture is God-breathed. And a lot of times what we do is we look at that and we think, oh, you know, that means that when the Holy Spirit superintended the process of the author's writing the Bible, he superintended in such a way that they only wrote inspired words and it was infallible. And you know what, that's true, and I believe that. But I don't actually think that's what Paul meant when he wrote that. I think what Paul meant when he wrote it was this. Every time you pick up this holy word, you are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with a living God. The purpose of reading the Bible isn't to know the Bible. The purpose of reading a Bible is to encounter the author of the text. And you know, when I pick up the Scripture, if I can pause and let the Holy Spirit blow across a word, a phrase, a picture, an image... A lot of times, all of a sudden, something stirs inside of me as the Holy Spirit's bringing revelation to me. So when I realized there was this huge gap between what the Father says about himself in the Word, what Jesus portrays of the Father, and what I was experiencing, one of the things I started doing was I started to put myself in a place where I could receive the illumination of the Spirit about Scripture. So for example, I took this passage in Romans chapter 8, and I meditated on it regularly. I'd get up in the morning, I wrote it on a three-by-five card. I'd get up in the morning and I'd read the card and I'd pray, Holy Spirit, show me the truth. I know it, like I could pass the test, but I need to know it. And so I'd just wait on the Lord, you know, and if something jumped out at me, I'd sit there and linger with the phrase, with the word, with the text that the Holy Spirit was highlighting. I looked at other passages like 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 that says, What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Or, you know, Ephesians chapter 1 that says, We were chosen before the foundations of the earth to be adopted as children of God. And I'd meditate on these passages of Scripture and let the Holy Spirit bring illumination. Well, one day, I was at the monastery where I used to go to meet alone with God, and it was in Petersham, Massachusetts. It's in the middle of no place, man. There's just nothing around at all. It's all woods. And so when I'm there, I don't even usually get a cell phone signal. Very seldom. Once in a while, I'll get a text that kind of buzzes through or something, but most of the times, nothing. So I'm sitting there. I'm at a desk. I'm meditating and alone with the Lord, and all of a sudden, I, my phone rings, and I'm shocked. I look down. It's my daughter, Courtney. And this is my second born. And so I pick up the phone right away, and she says, Dad, can I talk to you? I said to her, listen to me, sweetheart. I said, I'm, I'm going I'm to call you right back on the monastery phone because I'll never keep this signal. I know I won't. So when I call, the caller ID is going to say, Most Holy Trinity Monastery. It is not the monks. It's me. Pick up. <laughs> okay, Dad. So I hang up the cell phone. I go out in the other room, and I call her back. And, you know, she was having a little crisis. I spent 20 minutes on the phone with her, gave her a little fatherly direction, prayed with her. And, and I thought to myself afterwards, here I am meditating, right, on the fact that I'm a co-heir with Christ. The things that belong to Jesus belong to me. I have access like Jesus has access. My phone rings, and it's my daughter. And you know what struck me? If anybody else had called with any other last name but Reamer, I would not have picked up the phone because I was in my sacred space alone with God. The only reason I answered is because she was mine. She belonged to me. It was my daughter. 
And as I was sitting there meditating on it, I could feel once again the illumination of the Holy Spirit saying to me, see, that's the kind of access that you get as a privileged child. You get access just like Jesus gets access. There's a second thing that I think we're going to have to do if we're going to position ourselves to receive this revelation that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us, and that is we're going to have to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us directly about it, not just from the Scripture, but the reality is He makes known the love of the Father through direct revelation, speaking directly to us. Verse 16, it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. I love this phrase that he testifies. I mean, you think about this, but if you're driving out here today, you're leaving the church, and somebody has an accident in front of you, right? You're a witness, and you have to stand around, and when the police officer comes, and you have to bear witness to what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. That's all a witness does. They tell what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. And you give that witness, and you, know, you give a report of what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You're a witness. Listen, when this is written, what Paul is thinking of is that the Spirit of God has been for all eternity in the presence of the Father and the presence of the Son. According to Ephesians chapter 1, you were chosen before the foundations of the earth as an adopted child of God. And the Father has spoken in the presence of the Spirit your name. Jesus has spoken in the presence of the Spirit the power of His blood over your life, His sacrifice for you that has purged you, washed you, cleansed you from whatever you've done, thought, or said. The Spirit is testifying to you about the things He has seen and heard and experienced in the presence of the Father and the Son. He is making known to you that which you know cognitively. But hear me, so often what happens is we are discrediting the voice of the Holy Spirit within us because of the junk in the suitcase of our souls. See, when we're carrying around shame, the Holy Spirit is saying, that's not what the Father thinks about you. You are not marked by that bad decision and we're going, yeah, but you don't understand what I've done. He's going, I do understand what you've done. And I understand the blood is greater still. And he's trying to bear witness to us. When I was meditating on these things, one of the things I started to do at the very beginning was <clears throat> I started to spend five minutes alone with God every day just listening to whatever the Holy Spirit wanted to bring to my attention. And so I would just uh, spend some time in worship to try to sort of begin to sense God's presence. <clears throat> and then after I worship, I would just sit there, and I had a, a journal in the early days, just a, a, you know, a pad of paper and pen, and I would say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? And every day, I would start by hearing this phrase, I love you. And I would write it down. And I determined I was going to write it down unfiltered. And I was not going to go, is that God? Is that me? I'm not sure. How can you tell? I wasn't going to discredit the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I would just write it down. I love you. Next day, I would get up. I'd listen. First thing the Holy Spirit would say to me, I love you. The next day, get up, listen. First thing the Holy Spirit would say to me, I love you. Next day, get up, listen. First thing, I love you. This went on for months. 
Every day, first thing, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Months down the road, I'm finally sitting there one day, I love you, I write it down. I'm like, come on, is that really you? I mean, am I just making this stuff up? You know, is this just because I'm, you know, sort of needy and egotistical? I mean, really, what's going on? Is that you? And I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to him, and he goes, don't you tell your daughter you love her every day? And at this point, I'd had my firstborn child. I'm like, yeah, but that's different. I mean, I'm her dad. <laughs> Listen to your self-talk. You have no idea how much you discredit what the Spirit is revealing. Listen to your self-talk. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I get it. You're my dad. But it, but, but it doesn't feel that way, if I'm honest. It was shortly thereafter. My daughter, same firstborn, woke me up in the middle of the night screaming her head off. Who knows why children have to get up in the middle of the night and scream. But she gets up in the middle of the night screaming her head off. It's the reward of parenting. I pick her up. I take her downstairs. I'm sitting in the chair with her. It's like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's pitch dark. I don't turn any lights on or anything, obviously. I'm in a rocking chair. And she falls back to sleep. And it's weird, right? She's just woken me up. All she's done is ruined a good night's sleep. That's all she's done for me. And yet, in spite of that, my heart is exploding with love for this little kid. And as my heart is bursting with love, I'm trying not to speak too loudly because I don't want to stir her and wake her up, but I'm whispering to her, I'm like, oh, I love you. You have no idea how much I love you. And as I'm whispering this to my daughter, I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, and he goes, that's how the Father feels about you. I'm like, no, that can't be true. He goes, even more. Every day, I position myself in Scripture to meditate on the Word and let the Spirit illuminate it. Every day, I position myself to listen to the direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. And it was like slowly, over time, I could feel the tank start to fill with the love of God. But there was still a big gap. And I knew I needed more. Fortunately, I read the Bible and I take it really seriously. So I knew there was more. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 is one of my all-time favorite passages. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? But, you know, the context is ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. It's almost like God is saying, listen, you can have as much of my spirit as you want, but no more than you're willing to pay the price for. You have to come after it. And so I determined that I was going to come after the Holy Spirit's revelation of the Father's love. I wasn't going to wait around passively. One of the things I noticed with lots of people is, you know, they, they press into God enough so that they start to feel a little better. But once they get to the place they feel a little bit better, they stop pressing in. And so for me, it was, even though I was starting to feel a little better, I knew there was more. I think you have to press in and press through till you get to the other side of all that God has for you. And so I kept coming after him and saying, listen, I'm reading stuff like Luke 11 or this one in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that says the Holy Spirit pours out the love of the Father in our hearts. And I'm like, I'm getting a, a, a drizzle, a trickle. I, I'm getting an inflow that's slowly filling the tank, but I want an outpouring, a gusher. And so I kept praying. And one night, God answered my prayer. 
This time, instead of my children waking me up in the middle of the night, it was my father who woke me up in the middle of the night. In a dream, I haven't had a lot of dreams that have come from God, but I've had a handful, none like this one. This one completely changed my life. The dream was I was speaking at a men's retreat, and in dreams, everything's very symbolic, so you really have to kind of, to understand a dream that comes from the Lord, and not all dreams come from the Lord, but to understand one that does come from Him, you really have to unpeel, unpack the symbolism. And so the reason why it was a men's retreat is because when I grew up in my household, my dad was always angry in the early days of my life. He only had two tools of discipline. The two tools of discipline my dad carried were either he hit you or he yelled at you. That was it. My dad's dramatically changed. He's a very, very different human being. But that was the discipline tools that my father had when I was growing up. Well, unfortunately, when you experience this as a kid growing up, later on when you become an adult relating to the father in heaven, you often relate to him as you related to your earthly father. And it creates this gap. And this is part of the gap that I had to close. And so for me personally, that's why I was at a masculine men's retreat, because there was a masculinity wound from the father wound as a, as a man, as a young man. So I'm at this men's retreat, and I'm leaving. As I'm walking off the platform, there's all these guys that are there. There's probably, I don't know, a couple hundred guys in a room, and I'm walking through this room, and, and all these guys are giving me hugs, right? But they're giving me a man hug. You know what a man hug is? Three pats, and you're done. Anything more than that is definitely suspicious. <laughs> Three and out. And they're good, solid, hard pats, you know? And so I'm walking across the room, and it's boom, boom, boom. You know, you're done. Arr, you know, lots of testosterone. And I bang, 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 bang. And I'm walking through the room. You know what? I'm okay with that. I was okay with that because, honestly, if you have shame in the suitcase of your soul, one of the things you'll always have is an intimacy barrier with others. You'll be okay at a certain closeness, but if people invade your space emotionally or even physically and get too close, you will feel resistance. You will want to push them away emotionally or physically. And so the three patent done thing was working for me. I'm okay with that. That's as much as my soul could tolerate. And so I walked across the room, I get all these guys, and finally go outside, and there's one guy, and he's the only guy in the dream that I actually knew. Nobody else I knew had ever met in my life. This guy, though, you have to understand, because again, it's very symbolic, right? And what you have to understand about this guy to understand what was going on was this. This guy was one of my most vociferous critics. Now, I know here in Oregon, you don't have critics for your pastors, but in New England, we had a lot of critics, okay? This guy actually sat down with me. He took me out to breakfast one day, Dunkin' Donuts, big spender. <laughs> took me out to Dunkin' Donuts for breakfast one day. And when he took me out for breakfast, he brought with him a legal pad. On his legal pad was a list of 21 things you stink at, only he did not use the word stink, okay? And he sat down with me for two hours, never came up for air, two hours. He just walked through the list. You're terrible at this. You're terrible at that. And then as he would walk through the list, he would just say, you know, examples in case I couldn't see it, you know. And he'd tell me all these terrible things I did and why I was lousy at this and lousy at that. When he finished, I just looked at him and I said, do you even like me? He goes, oh, this isn't personal. Oh, thank God, because could you imagine if it were? I could have gotten really hurt. 
Listen, you know, we use a phrase sometimes in the U.S. We say, what, we, what you don't know won't hurt you. Listen, what you don't know is not only killing you, it's killing those around you. We, you know, self-awareness is an amazing gift. Again, when the Holy Spirit shines light, my job is to stand in the light and go, yeah, God, that's true about me. It's a gift. But anyways, you already understand about this, guys. He didn't represent himself. You know what he represented? The critic within that discrediting voice inside my head that kept discrediting the testimony and witness of the Holy Spirit. The discrediting voice inside my head that every time I screwed up, reminded myself that I was a screw up. The discrediting voice inside my head that would bring up the things in my past. The discrediting voice inside my head that when the Father was trying to reveal that I was a loved, beloved, adopted child would be discrediting saying, but you don't understand. He just represented the critic within. It's funny, he's the only guy in the dream I didn't hug. You know why? You can't make peace with the critic within. You gotta put it to death. It's really all about your pride. You're making it too much about you. And so that guy, I walked past, I go out in the parking lot, and I'm going towards the car, and as I'm making my way towards the car, there's one last guy in the parking lot. He was an old guy. He was probably at the time of the dream. I was in my 30s, you know, late 30s, and it was, it was probably my dad's age. And so I get out there into the parking lot, and this guy gives me a hug. Well, why not? Everybody else in the dream gave me a hug, right? So, I mean, the only problem is nobody taught him the man-hug rules. And he violated them all, okay? I mean, he's got me in a hug, and he will not let me go, man. He has got me uncomfortably long, and he is uncomfortably close, and everything inside of me wants to, like, throw him down and get away from him. I am dying inside. My skin is crawling. I feel all this stuff moving. I'm like, oh, my gosh, buddy, you need to leave me alone. And as all this stuff is crawling inside of me, finally this guy disembraces with me, but he's still got a hold of my shoulders. He won't let me go. And he pushes me back. He looks me in the face, and he says, I am your Father in heaven. And I love you. And I lost it. I woke up. And I, my pillow was drenched because I'd been crying so hard in my dream. I got up because I didn't want to wake my wife up. I went downstairs and I sat in the living room and sobbed for two hours. The entire time, I just experienced an outpouring, a downpour, an absolute revelation of the Father's tender affections. It was stunning. It went on for a long time. It was weird, man. When this finished, I would walk into a room with people I didn't know, and I'd walk up to somebody that I didn't know because I could feel the Father's compassion for them. It wasn't my compassion. It wasn't Jesus' compassion. It wasn't the Holy Spirit's compassion. It was uniquely and distinctly the Father's compassion. And the reason I knew it is because I'd experienced it. I knew what it felt like. I hadn't read about it any longer. I had it revealed to me. And I would literally walk up to somebody in a place that I didn't even know anybody, and I would say to them, I feel the Father's compassion for you, and they'd start sobbing. I actually had a conversation one day with a medium, and I felt the Father's compassion for her, and when I said it, she burst into tears. 
you know, I'm an author, right? And so lots of people read my stuff, and I'm very, very honest. It's the only me I ever bring to the party, and I'm very, I'm very vulnerable. And so people come up to me all the time and say to me, oh, man, I've read your books. I feel like I know you. They don't know me. They've never met me. They haven't had a personal conversation with me. They've read about me. But they don't know me. There's a lot of people, we've read about the Father. We've heard others speak about the Father. But until the Holy Spirit reveals the Father's tender affection, we don't know the Father like we want to know the Father. And if you're here this morning and, you know, you just think, I would love to experience more of the Father's love, but maybe there's some stuff in the suitcase that's blocking it. You're not sure, but you know you want more. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are, and I'm going to pray for you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to just know about you. We want all of us to experience the revelation of the Father's tender affections. We need you, Holy Spirit, to make known to us that which we know cognitively. We need revelation. I pray in the next days and weeks and months starting this moment, we would start to experience the revelatory outpouring of the Father's love through the Spirit. I pray it would come in dreams, whispers, pictures, encounters, illuminations in the Scripture, but it would keep coming like waves lapping up against an ocean beach. It would come over and over and over, and the tanks that are inside of us would slowly get filled up with the Father's love until it is full to the overflow and splashing out on everybody around us to the glory of the King. I pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.